government's telling us inflation right now, uh, 8.2% uh, year over year, if you're including food and energy, what, where do you think it is today? I think it really depends on what you're buying. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. Great. Well, yeah, this episode, I really wanted to do another deep dive in inflation, and I wanted to try to get somebody who's not necessarily in real estate on the show uh, or works for the government, like just get someone who's really more on the front lines, uh, day to day, uh, purchasing things, buying things, seeing what prices are like. Because, uh, I mean, if you're in real estate, like the, you know, I think inflation is really uh, plateaued and we're having price cuts. Obviously, if you are trying to sell your house or rent an apartment, like prices are, are dropping today. So like for if you're in real estate and are just only seeing that, uh, you have one view of inflation, which is that it's basically uh, it's, it's slowing or, or has, has stopped, um, but really wanted to get someone on the episode who's, you know, in a different seat and could definitely have a different opinion on it. So on this episode, you're going to learn about what's happening today with inflation uh, from someone at Costco and then what to expect in the future with inflation. And then something that's important to me when I heard how much stuff Andrew buys a year is you're going to get some expert negotiating tips at the end from someone who buys $2 billion of stuff per year. Welcome. Thanks. Me too. Perfect. Well, yeah, why don't we just jump right into it? So you're, you're a buyer for Costco. What exactly does a buyer do? Um, yeah, so I'm an assistant buyer in the regional office uh, here in the Midwest, out in the Chicago area. So we handle the 13 states in the Midwest, everywhere from North Dakota down to Kentucky. Um, so our buyers manage all the categories within their department. Um, they're responsible for the um, you know, item assortment, um, sourcing from different suppliers, um, ordering and distributing them um, to each of our locations that they cover. Um, they handle the pricing negotiations, so they're you know, right on the front lines really seeing what's driving um, the dynamics behind every single cost increase that you see um, for each of the items. Um, so we work on the pricing and profitability and help you know manage any issues that arise with the items. Um, and you know we're the only place in town um, besides you know other wholesale clubs where you have to pay a membership fee to actually walk in the door for the privilege to shop. Um, so our job, you know, we take very seriously in terms of giving that value back to the member um, by you know working hard to fight these cost increases um, whenever they aren't justified. Um, and you know, making sure that they have everything in stock all seven days of the week, um, because that's the most valuable thing that we're selling at the end of the day um, is that membership fee. What kind of products are you buying for Costco then? Um, so I started out buying the candy department, which is everything from you know salty snacks to nuts to um, you know protein bars. Um, during the whole COVID pandemic, I was buying frozen food, which was one of the biggest uh, impacted because there's so many people, you know working at home, um, looking for something with convenience. Um, and now I buy the sundries department, which is everything from toilet paper to um, pet supplies, Ziploc bags, um, all of the you know, consumer packaged goods that aren't necessarily food. Okay, nice. Yeah, so that's like a broad spectrum of different things you're looking at. So then government's telling us inflation right now, 8.2% uh, uh, year over year, if you're including food and energy. Uh, what, where do you think it is today? I think it really depends on 
what you're buying. Um, you know, those those numbers are their best guess at aggregating, you know, a typical basket of goods for a consumer or for a household. And they haven't done a whole lot to tweak that to shopping patterns. Um, and I think definitely in the past couple of years, you've seen quite a bit of change to what people are buying, where they're buying it, um, and how much um, they're spending on, on those things. So in my opinion, I think some people are experiencing inflation close to the double digits. But um, if you, you know, account for the changes to those shopping patterns, people aren't spending on gas because they're not going to the office. You know, they're not spending on um, other transportation or travel. Um, so there's quite a few households that probably aren't actually expect and um, aren't actually receiving that much inflation at all. Interesting, because um, they're just they're cutting back on those things that have spiked, whether just intentionally yeah. or just just sort of worked out that way with like gas and not needing. Yeah, to and some of it is you know that they might be allocating it because of the prices going up, but I think much more of the um, drivers for the you know people who aren't actually experiencing that much inflation is because there's just nothing to buy in those categories. You yeah, know, there was no travel for years. Um, you know, office space was shut down, so. Um, Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that no, even for me personally, like I've wanted to buy a new car for like a couple of years or not. I don't buy new cars. I buy a new a new car to me that's used, but uh, I just haven't. I mean, prices have been so high in used cars. The car I have now is fine. So I just haven't. Yeah. Cars, and, you, so. and we had a time where, you know, used car prices were higher than what, you know, new cars were. The gap kind of shifted. Yeah. Um, and I bought a new car this past year and I had to wait until it came literally off the truck from the factory and I got it the next day because they they were no cars in the lot for the ones that I was looking for. Um, so I think that now you know we're getting back to a spot where there is a little bit more supply out there. Um, we're not having to you know chase down every last truck of stuff. Um, we can be a little more discerning in what we're buying um, and that allows us a little more flexibility to negotiate on those sort of costs. Yeah, it makes sense. And I know a lot of retailers, they were because this was uh, I haven't, I didn't know if this happened to Costco, but it was in the news a lot having happened to Target where they got stuck with a ton of inventory where they just bought everything they could, then they couldn't sell it all. Now they're discounting it. Um, like when, when was that happening? I think that that's kind of been um, a slow, gradual um, shift back to normality, I guess you could say. Um, and it depends on, on the category and on the department. Um, you know, some industries were able to shift um, to meet the new consumer demands pretty quickly. Um, but like if you look at toilet paper, for instance, people weren't, you know, going to the bathroom more frequently. Um, they just weren't doing it in the office. And, you know, the single ply toilet paper that everyone dreads in the office or in public spaces is not the same toilet paper you're going to pick up when you're shopping for your own house. Um, and the manufacturing facilities for those, um, they can't just switch from one to another. Whereas, you know, some food items, they can they can change those pretty quickly because, you know, they're used to constantly changing the ingredient decks, new flavors, that sort of thing. Um, so I think that you will actually start to see across the board um, on those sort of bigger items a little bit more discounting, um, and not just because there's you know way too much of it out there, but because we're finally back to being able to be at a normal inventory level to run promotions that we you know, have been holding off for for two years now. Um, so. I think that that will probably bring overall costs down just because you're going to see a lot more availability of goods where you can start promoting them. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's all a factor of supply and demand. Um, 
and we had a time when there was a lot more demand at the same time when you had a lot of su supply constraints. Um, so it was probably about 50-50 on each side of that with you know production facilities not being able to run at full capacity and the demand not matching what demand was for each of those things you know a year prior yeah yeah makes sense well yeah well then what do you think uh are you seeing so that could be a reason inflation would be slowing uh in the future but are you seeing inflation slowing or dropping or what are you seeing day to day right now um i think one you know big light at the end of the tunnel is that availability of of items um you know where we're not as supply constrained um and had to hold off all of that promotional activity you're seeing a lot of um commodities start to come down, um, which, you know, in time will lead to um, that trickling down to what consumers are paying. Um, you see the energy composite starting to finally take a little bit of um, a reprieve. Um, agriculture and metals have been coming down for a few months. Um, this time last year, I think, was the peak of um, shipping container costs. It was, you know, $10,000 plus um, for a ship coming from Asia. Now that's down to roughly four. Um, and those costs are, you know, largely impacted by, you know, all of the um, freight that is not coming here because there was such a huge, um, you know, jolt of inventory coming um, with all the you know, backups at the ports. Yeah. Um, but I think that the prices will come down um, because there is so much inventory available and because. You know those commodity costs for new manufactured goods um, are going to are going to keep those costs a little lower than what we've seen. Right. So a lot of the inputs, those prices have dropped. Then they yeah. can offer the the goods for less, and there's not as much demand on it now. So now there's not nearly the there's not as much pricing power. Yeah. You're saying okay, inflation then just to hear right like actual inflation is probably more than the eight percent that's being reported, but people have adjusted their they're spending where they're not actually experiencing the eight then is yeah what i would say that um you know for the people that are you know experiencing that full 8.2 percent inflation most of those households have seen um, the same wage increase so they have not been cutting back on spending as much as i think the fed might be trying to achieve Interesting. Um, and it from what it sounds like from them they're not comfortable lowering the rate of their increases until they start to see that consumer demand start to falter a little bit and you know we're still in the highest um inflationary time in my lifetime and at the same time we're in the best labor market that we've had in decades um and wage growth is continuing to you know help support people's um people's spending habits to meet that 8.2 percent inflation um so unless um you know in, until People can't really afford the inflation that they're seeing. They're not gonna. They're not gonna tighten their belts and start cutting back. Yeah. What about then for Costco? Have you? Did you guys see? Uh, I mean, I I saw a chart that you 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 gave us where it was uh, like in June sales had dropped off of this year. Um, it, we we release monthly um, sales data, um, so there's not ever a whole lot of surprise when we do have our earnings uh, because you know we we're giving monthly uh, guidance. And, you know, you're not seeing a huge decrease in how much people are spending, uh, but you're definitely seeing a little bit of a slowdown to, um, you know, the growth that we experienced in the last two to three years. And, you know, that's consistent with the rest of the market. Um, but 
overall consumer spending in September, um, you know, didn't take the dive that the Fed, I think, is looking for. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because this this chart I was looking at, it had the, um, I guess it was it wasn't percentage, it was like the volume. So yeah. I had thought, oh, sales it per warehouse per week. Yeah, yeah, I thought it did take a dip. Uh, then not just as like a, the growth, but then the way you looked at that, that's more. Um, what did what did you think when you saw that drop in the sales per warehouse per week in June? Well, I mean, year over year, it's still way above you know what a normal year oh, of it. growth would be. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of how much people are uh, willing to spend, um, the total volume is still there. You're seeing people, you know, maybe tighten their belt in other ways, going to, you know, cheaper proteins, you know, picking the select steak instead of the prime steak, um, you know, moving from um, those sort of proteins, the, um, you know, the steak or, you know, the expensive meat alternatives to cheaper proteins like eggs chicken, uh, milk, that sort of thing. Got it. Okay, nice. Yeah, because it was definitely up a, a lot over 2021. I didn't know if, you, if your take was, oh, okay, actually, the what the Fed's doing is working. We're going to create this, uh, you know, ruin the demand and uh, create a, you know, the stop inflation. And look, it, it worked. Like now we're, we were on uh, a certain trajectory and it dropped. I mean, I don't, I think that that's, that that's their goal ultimately, right, is to, you know, put a little more pressure on um, on spending overall by making money more expensive. Um, but when wage growth continues to be as high as inflation has been, um, people are still willing to spend because they still they don't feel that inflationary pressure. Interesting. So then what do you guys think is going to happen with wage growth like in the next 12 months, would you say? I think that um, people's expectations of where inflation is going to go um, typically is you know what you see in wage increases. Um, I don't think that we're going to see a, a wage spiral that they talk about where, you know, employers are constantly trying to match what inflation expectations are. Um, I think that, you know, in the next couple months, if the Fed does start to see some of the data work in their direction uh, where they're, you know, seeing what they want to see, it's a little more comfortable for them. They're going to be able to start at least indicating that they're willing to lower the rate of their rate increases. I think that'll be a pretty strong message that, you know, there's the light at the end of the tunnel and we're not going to have a huge wage spiral and, you know, persisting inflation at the 8% rate. I don't think that it's going away anytime soon, but um, I think that until the Fed starts to see the data that they want, um, they're going to continue to interest, increase in interest rates until, um, you know, consumer demand data starts to show that what they're doing ha is having some impact. Interesting, because, uh, yeah, they're having a big impact, these rate increases on the real estate industry, where, I mean, every uh, it's every place that does lending, whether it's on commercial properties or single family homes. I mean, it's like huge layoffs at those companies. And um, one of the biggest commercial real estate like service provider companies will call it is called CBRE, where they have real estate brokers and lenders and advisors there. They just announced they're going to try to cut 400 million a year of spending mostly through layoffs of, of people that work there and like so there it's interesting to hear your answer because like at least from my seat it's like yeah this is having a huge impact like the the deals you are gonna buy you can't pay as much for so then that slows the whole industry down so if you're providing one of those services there's way less work people start getting laid off um, you know prices start dropping so like the feds had a huge impact on the real estate industry you know but that's just one 
you know yeah. piece of the whole yeah, that's, pie. That's the first so. domino to fall is is you know the the price impacts are immediately on on mortgage rates, um, which you know affects housing price. You know you immediately saw a strength in dollar, um, but until um, you know that starts to you know trickle down so to speak, <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, you know the the Fed rates are you know really a um, gravitational force. Um, it starts to affect you know what is closest to the center, right? Things that are impacted by those rates directly. Um, but to, you know, curb consumer spending, which is much of, you know, the pricing that inflation's coming from, um, is going to take a lot longer to have that, that same impact. Interesting. Then what do you, when, when would you think we're going to start seeing the inflation numbers drop? That's a tough question because, you know, it's, as much as you polish your crystal ball, it's always going to look cloudy. Um, I mean, even the Fed, they, their anticipated um, inflation numbers coming out of um, December of 2020 was less than 2%. That didn't happen. Um, the following year in December 2021, they said next year's inflation is going to be 2.6%. It's 8 right. right? So it's really hard to say what it's going to be. But what I can tell you is that they've been very clear that they're data-driven and they're looking at the inflation numbers and the inflation numbers are much less uh, reliant on, you know, the housing costs um, and the things that are immediately impacted by these rate changes. And I think that it is probably going to take another, you know, four to six months until they start to see the data that they want, where they're going to be comfortable pulling back. From my real estate vantage point, like if you're doing year over year numbers, we're definitely, we have lower numbers now. So it's definitely less than 12 months away having the inflation number roll over. Uh, and then also what I would, um, would say is the inflation month, uh, when you look at it year over year by month, they get into some really high, uh, increased numbers once you get to December, 2021. So now they're running into high comps, if you will. Mm-hmm. And like at least real estates, you know, uh, was no surprise, like home prices are dropping and, and rents are depending where you are flat or have dropped. So like some stuff's rolled over and we're running into high comps, but you're not, you're seeing price cuts. No, still. It's- I think there are, there are prices coming down because of the kind of trickle down from the commodity prices. Um, and the fact that I think people are starting to, you know, buy a little less volume of certain goods. Um, I don't see inflation sticking at 8% for much longer. Um, definitely not for the next three months. Um, how long it's going to take to drop back below even the 6% that it kind of hovered at um, eight months ago. Um, it's really going to depend on on how far the Fed's willing to go in, in keeping their, their rate rises going. Okay. And they've, they've been pretty clear that they w- would err on the side of overdoing it than underdoing it and keeping inflation around for longer than they'd like. They want to they want to put a quick end to it. Yeah. Um, and I think that they're going to continue to act ag- aggressively until they start to see those uh, interest rates go down. And when they do go down, um, unless they do start to kind of taper their increases, it will drop, I think, pretty quickly. Yeah. I, I mean, well, it's, yeah, the way they're uh, the way they do their surveys and get their data was not too late, you know, where they just keep, they're doing raises six months more than they needed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that's what they've traditionally done the fed. And then they need to cut really fast. Um, like in the last two, um, two or three, uh, rate hike cycles, you know, so 2018 and, uh, 
let's I, I don't have them memorized but then sometime around 2006 and um they like the last three they had to cut again in eight months or less because like they overshot it mm-hmm. so i mean that's where i think a lot of this um like next year we're gonna see the employment market soften a lot i mean just uh, you know any real estate company is already making cuts so like that's uh that's like a you know from especially from what i look at i'm like this is there's not like things are actually starting to slow now. And then that's definitely trickled over to tech, you know, cause they're all, they're heavy on growth. And if we're going to be in a flat, let's say economy, then it's like, why pay such a crazy multiple for, or invest in this tech company that makes no money yet. And then they all, you know, then that keeps, that's less engineers to hire and, you know, it keeps trickling through and the longer they let this keep going, yeah. um, the worse it's going to be. So, and, and I think the, those job numbers are something that they keep a very close eye on, right? Because they have a dual mandate, keep inflation at their target, and then maximize employment. Um, we're in a really strong position on employment. Um, but if if those sort of um, things start to happen in other industries, um, they're going to have to you know kind of double check what they're doing. Yeah. But then to be clear, so I'm seeing rents drop, home prices drop, and like real estate companies lay people off. Mm-hmm. From your standpoint, what are you seeing with the prices of the things you're buying? And then you said you thought employment was still we're in a really strong labor market, right? Yeah, we're in the strongest labor market in terms of you know unemployment um, and wage growth that we've seen in at least my lifetime. Um, and I think that that gives them a little wiggle room on how you know far they can go um, and you know before they have to do a, a correction on you know them overdoing it. Um, I'm seeing a little bit of reprieve on a lot of items on the food side. Um, you know, I'm, you know, mostly just focused on what I do day to day. But you know, on the commodity side and you know the input side, um, and definitely on the you know meat and energy. You know, you're seeing beef come way down from where it was last year. Um, chickens on the way down. These are the things that you know consumers are seeing day to day, and is going to you know impact. Um, you know, their ability to spend on other other goods. Yeah, I mean that sounds like it's more of a mixed bag, though. Some things are dropping, some are increasing. I think that the the rate of cost increases is definitely slowed um, because you are starting to see so many items um, you know, have cost decreases um, for the first time in you know two to three years, um, and you know with the commodity and um, you know energy costs going um, down a bit that gives a little more wiggle room to negotiate costs, um, especially now that we have some supply out there. Um, so they're going to have to, um, you know, companies are going to have to start lowering their costs just to get through all of the goods that they have. Yeah, I think that's great. And that's plenty on inflation. So then let's see, um, I was going to ask you too, like what's the deal with this dollar 50 hot dog? Well, that's, that's right back to inflation, right? So I think that's kind of our mascot on, you know, how we handle cost increases in inflation. Um, it's been a dollar fifty since I think nineteen eighty four, eighty two, something like that, um, and you know we are able to achieve that in part because we decided you know we're dedicated on that um, and we're going to have to figure out a way to do it no matter what. Um, so those hot dogs are now you know made um, internally by one of our um, you know meat packing facilities, but you know there's a lot of articles out there um, you know about this dollar fifty hot dog saying that the you know our founder, when he handed over the reins to the, the current CEO, Craig, says, I'll, I'll effing kill you if you change the price on the hot dog combo. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that, you know, they asked the CFO and his answer is 
a swift, you know, no, we're never going to change the price on it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that, you know, that speaks to the way that we handle um, our negotiations and our view on inflation is that, you know, if, if we're able to, it will be the same price forever. Yeah. Yeah. And just even one thing that uh, was memorable, kind of just chatting with you, like uh, right before we got started, it was interesting where when I was asking about like what's going on with prices today and it was like, I've got so many price increases still uh, to deal with. It's like I can almost not keep uh, to like work on them all. Yeah. I mean, but before, you know, the the COVID pandemic, um, you know, started to have such a huge impact, we would get cost increases, you know, a couple would come across your desk a month. Um, you know, there were times when you would get two a day, um, for two weeks straight. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it can get overwhelming and that's, you know, you can see that in the inflation numbers, but that dollar 50 hot dog is, you know, that's our, that's our beacon. Yeah. But then on all those, and then it's your job or you have a, a team for this? I assume not. It's your job then to try to get the price back down. We have an increase, try to get it back to where it was. So we have, you know, whenever I get a cost increase, we ask a lot of questions, you know, what's driving this, um, make sure that, you know, it's justified. Um, because the answer we don't want to get is, well, we just think the market can bear these higher prices. Um, so, you know, we know that a lot of these cost increases are coming from direct, you know, inputs going up. Um, but now that we're seeing those commodity prices come down, um, we can co go back to the suppliers and say, you know, you passed on this 30 cents because shipping was up 30 cents. It's now down. Let's get that 30 cents back. Yeah. Well, that's a good negotiating tip then for anybody. Yeah. So. And we know that, you know, that those 30 cents that we can save members, they're going to come back and shop and those 30 cents are going to go straight back into a hot dog combo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's a good tip. Uh, you got any other tips on negotiating or, um, get yourself in a position where you can have the power to say no to something. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's a good one. Yeah. Usually whoever wants to do it more ends up getting the worst deal. Yeah. So a lot of the best deals yeah. I bought. And that's, that's the great part about, you know, having an operating model where you're limited SKUs. I don't have to have a full assortment in a category. I can just pick the best seller. And, um, you know, if we don't have a value to the market, we're in a position where we can say no. Yeah. It makes sense. Or they're not necessarily looking for this exact item. Like it's more like there's like a, you know, it's, it can be any type of X, you know, it's not just yeah. needs to be this exact brand. I mean, there's, you know, there's been times where we've stepped away from pretty major brands like Coca-Cola, um, for a time because, you know, they weren't getting to a price point or, you know, a value that, uh, we were comfortable with. Um, and if you have the power to say no, you can say no. Yeah. That's a good tip. Cause I was going to say a lot of the buildings I bought where I feel like it's the best deal. It's like the ones I barely, I didn't really, it's like 50, 50 on the, it's like, if I can get it at this price, I'll buy it. Otherwise I don't really care. And then I offer like, you know, a pretty, uh, aggressive price. Cause I, you know, I'm not that pumped about the deal. Then you get it and you look back five years, like, wow, that was my best deal at that time. Yeah. And it was like the one you didn't almost yeah. care about. Oh, like, and that's the one thing that, um, you know, is the most important for you know, the buyers in our position is to ask questions because we need to be experts in whatever we're buying so that, you know, when suppliers do have issues that come up, um, we can help them, you know, and work together on, on achieving, you know, something that works for both of us. Cause you know, for, for us to prosper, our suppliers also have to prosper. Perfect. All right, well, let's leave it there. Thanks for being on, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode. If you learned something from today's show, please leave a review and hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast. Dive deeper into real estate investing 
on Brenneman Capital's website, brenneman.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Accredited investors can also get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries. The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.